So I've just had a very significant zero birthday. I, I think uh, birthdays that end in zero make you reflective, at least they do me. It still feels like I have a three in the front of it, but there's a few more than three in front of that zero. So uh, 10 years ago, the plan was that I was going to start my 40s with a bang. And we'd been looking forward to it for years um, because I'd had this lifelong dream to go to Paris. I, I studied French at school and my parents holidayed in France when I was little. And so Simon had promised me that he would take me to Paris for my 40th, which was also our 20th wedding anniversary that year. But 40 took a nosedive and it ended up being one of the most difficult years of my life. Um, that year I could barely maintain the basics of life, let alone take a, a life-long uh, trip around the world. And instead of this exciting journey to Paris, I took a very different kind of journey. And it was deep and it was dark and it was debilitating. And it was the journey through burnout. And it was characterised by severe anxiety, um, panic attacks and then severe depression. And I was running on empty. So uh, what I want to I use what's happened uh, to me, what happened to me 10 years ago, and to understand burnout and to look at why it's important to look after our well-being and why it's a very God-honouring thing to do. Um, and it's a God-honouring aspect of our living. So before we go into uh, my story, I want to take a look at a character in the Bible that also went through burnout. Uh, I'm not sure whether you actually uh, have read through some of the Bible characters and done it through the lens of mental health, but because I work in mental health, um, I pick up some of these things. And I love that the Bible is not a, um, a book full of uh, perfect people with perfect lives. It's filled with human imperfections and struggle. Um, but the important thing in these stories is there's a God who chooses to care and he chooses to be with us and sustain us uh, when life's difficult. So let's have a look at 1 Kings 19, 1 to 4. And it's the story of Elijah. And it says here, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he'd killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So there you have it. A classic case of burnout. And it shouldn't have been surprising that this is what Elijah was feeling, if you understand what went on in the story um, before we got to this moment. And we're going to have a little look at it, but I just want to do a little bit of psychoeducation first. So often we think of... So, yes, I, um, we're going to look at the stress that's in Elijah's life, but often what we think of when we think of stress is we think it's something that's bad and it's something that we need to avoid. But stress is actually just a normal body reaction that happens when changes occur in our life. It's a normal part of life um, and the stress response helps our body to adjust to new situations. 
So as humans, we've got to understand that we're holistic. So we're made up of parts that are interconnected. So we're physical, which is our bodies. We're emotional, which is our thoughts and our feelings. We're social, it's how we interact with our world. And we're spiritual. So we have a soul, it's our relationship to God. So stress is simply a demand put on our physical, emotional, social and spiritual well-being. And stress can be positive. It uh, keeps us alert. It keeps us motivated, uh, ready for action. It helps us to enjoy pleasurable things. Um, but stress can also become a problem when stresses continue without relief and there's not enough periods of um, relaxation. So in other words, stress can be good stress or it can be bad stress. So some good stresses would be um, weddings and new babies and a new house or a new job or an exciting holiday. Um, or it could be thrill-seeking events like skydiving and bungee jumping. You'd never get me doing either of those, but some people want the adrenaline rush of those. Um, then there's bad things, so things that cause distress. Um, they place a demand on us in a negative way. So there's conflict, or we have relationship breakdowns, or we have ill health, or we've had an accident, or there's financial hardships, um, or we're over overworked, too much challenge, or we're underworked, not enough challenge. Um, those sort of things can cause stress too. So too much of a combination of any of all of these things are going to have, have negative effects on our bodies because it's the same chemicals responsible for both. So the adrenaline and the cortisol, you have those, whether it's good stress or whether it's um, bad stress. So what was going on for Elijah? Have a little listen to what happened in the story before we got to the sitting under the broom tree and see if you can have a listen to the good stress, bad stress in um, Elijah's story. So Elijah was a prophet of Yahweh. He was uh, a prophet of the God of Israel. And it was his job to speak God's truth to the people. Uh, that came with responsibility, especially when he had to tell the people some bad things were going to happen to them because they were being disobedient. Um, he seemed to be doing his job on his own, uh, and, in fact, Elijah claims that he was the only one that he was aware of at one point in the story. And compare that to the fact that, in the same story, there's 800 prophets of Asherah, which is one of the idols, another 850 prophets of Baal. So imagine being the only voice speaking God's truth um, in that context. So then he had to proclaim that there was a drought on the land because of their disobedience. What's really interesting, I googled Baal, the idol Baal, and Baal was known as the god of dew and rain. So how interesting that the people were putting their trust in Baal and then God had to bring them back to obedience by bringing a drought. Anyway, interesting. Um, so he proclaims a drought. That puts a target on his back and Elijah has to go and hide for fear of his life. Um, then God tells him he's gone out and hidden um, the country's in drought, and then God tells him he needs to go and find a widow who will provide him food and water. Now, that's an interesting step of faith too, because the widow is the poorest of the poor. She would have the least amount of food and water, but he's obedient and he doesn't, and the widow says she's only got enough 
flour and oil for one more meal, but she trusts God too, and God provides their, their food, and her oil and um, her flour and oil don't run out while the, by, uh, for the time that they're together. Um, Unfortunately, the widow's boy does die and then she blames Elijah for that because he asked for the food. Then Elijah raises the boy back to life. Um, and then there's this massive challenge, um, an epic showdown of which God is real, the God of Yahweh or the God of Baal. And then they make these altars and they put wood on them and they douse them in water and there's a whole day of chanting and praying. And of course, um, the God of Baal can't destroy his altar. And then uh, God comes in and proves his power and hits it out of the park because there's fire from heaven. It consumes the altar and the water. It, it's massive and the people turn and believe in God. And then Elijah has all those 850 prophets of Baal killed. And then King Ahab tells his wife Jezebel, and she is furious. Oh my goodness, poor Elijah. There is such a lot of stress in this story. Can you feel it? Um, after all of that, after all of Elijah's obedience and following God's direction and God's show of his mighty power, Elijah is still running for his life because somebody wants to kill him. And then he's sitting under the broom tree and he says, I've had enough, take my life, because I'm no better than my ancestors. Um, I'm not the least bit surprised, actually. Um, at this point, I think it's pretty clear that Elijah has nothing left in his tank. So if stress is the reaction to a demand placed on our bodies then what exactly is burnout? And I heard somebody explain it recently that stress is the overall arousal of the adrenal system. So stress tends to be kind of biological. We feel it in our body. Um, burnout is the overall arousal of the emotional system. So it's psychological. Burnout is the state of complete mental, physical, emotional, social, spiritual exhaustion. You may notice that it's difficult to engage in activities that you normally found uh, meaningful. You, you don't care about the things that are important to you anymore. Um, you can experience an increasing sense of hopelessness. So in burnout, we have more stresses than we have the ability to manage. In other words, the demands are great and the resources to meet those demands are few. So either we don't have those resources, or we've actually used them all up, and there's nothing left. So burnout leaves us exhausted, tired, hopeless, unable to make decisions, unable to perform tasks, um, apathetic, guilty, sad, anxious, teary, angry, and the list goes on and on. So I want to share with you what happened to me to help you understand this a little better and then to give us some tools that we can do to look after ourselves. So I want to imagine that your life is um, like a bucket. So everything we are and everything we do and everything we experience are things that get added to the bucket of our lives and that together is kind of our capacity. So there's some things, some really important things you need to know about buckets. 
we all have a different capacity for what we're able to carry. Some of us have a smaller capacity to carry the demands of life, and that's okay. Uh, some of us have large buckets and have a huge capacity to carry the demands of life, and that's okay too. Um, our buckets can grow in size, or they can get smaller uh, during our lifetime or in different seasons of life. So, you know, maybe when we were younger, we've got a bucket with more capacity, and as we get older, we just don't have as much capacity anymore. Or it could be the stages of life, you know, the stages of crazy years of young babies. Um, you know, the buckets diminish in size depending on the demand. Maybe it's our health. Maybe we're not as fit as we used to be. Um, or we, we're sick. Or maybe there's a lot going on for us psychologically in our emotional world, whether it's our family of origin or we've got some conflicts. So different reasons why we have different buckets. We've actually all been made differently, and it's not good for you to compare your size bucket with someone else's. We need to get to know and live with the capacity of our own bucket. And then one more thing about buckets is that buckets don't start out empty. So we have a whole lot of things that sit in the bottom of our, our buckets, and some of them have been with us since birth. So things like our personality, um, our genetics, our family of origin, how we attached when we were children, if we've got a disability, if we've got a long-term illness. Um, all of those things sit in the bottom of our bucket and they interact with what goes in into the bucket. So, I have a bucket here. Um, and I have a trusty assistant who's going to help me uh, multitask because I'm wired up and I'm a bit nervous about water and being wired up. So I'm, my trusty assistant is going to help me here. So you remember when I said earlier that um, stress can be good or bad. It's the same chemicals. <laughs> it's a big responsibility. <laughs> um, so I want to show you what was going on for me in my world um, 10 years ago. So let's start with the good. Um, I was married. No, 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 it's okay. It's not, that wasn't stressful. This is how much stress it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I was working part-time in a job that I loved and I felt very cool to. You can add water to the bucket as I'm talking. Um, it was demanding, but it was filled with purpose and direction. Um, I was studying part-time. Um, I was also volunteering in some very significant spaces. We had three teenagers. They're on the good side. <laughs> They're on the good side. They were good stress, right? But you know what it's like with teenagers, it's, it, it's physically and emotionally demanding, you know, we had driving lessons, we had social media, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was all goes in the bucket. Um, those years that we had some milestone years too, so we had one child graduating from primary school in year seven, we had one child finishing high school and going to uni, so there was graduations and transition things, it was kind of busy in our household. Um, and we were also doing renovations to our house in all of that too. <laughs> all right. 
So there were some exciting things happening, um, but the bucket was getting full. Then on the bad side, there were times when work was difficult. Um, no workplace is perfect, and I certainly wasn't perfect either. Um, we had a significant mental health issue that happened to a person in our extended family that was very distressing. It resulted in a hospital admission. There was also a marriage breakdown in our extended family that resulted in a family member living with us for three months in that time. Uh, Simon's mum was diagnosed with a rare degenerative disease, which she died from a few years later. Uh, Simon had a new job. <laughs> and in the middle of all that, our son also ruptured his appendix and spent a week in hospital. So you may as well fill it to the top. It was full. <laughs> Keep going. Put a bit more in. <laughs> Thanks. You're done now. <laughs> uh, I knew I was in serious trouble. Uh, my bucket was full and it was teetering on the verge of running out of resources. And I remember the exact moment that it did. I, I happened to be having a conversation with someone at work. It was just a normal conversation. It wasn't a stressful conversation. And in the middle of that conversation, I just felt like, I'm about to burst into tears, and when I do, I just know I'm not going to stop. And I remember making some excuse that I wasn't feeling well, and I packed up my laptop, and I, uh, I got into my car, and at that point, I said pretty much the same words as Elijah. I've had enough, Lord. I can't do this anymore. And my bucket overflowed. I felt worthless and hopeless and I was exhausted and I sobbed all the way to my parents' house, turning up unannounced in a blubbering mess. So I had what I now call an overflow moment. Anyone had an overflow moment before? You don't have to disclose. You don't have to... <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just don't want anyone feeling more vulnerable than they need to be. But yeah. It might not have been dramatic or as severe that uh, the one that plunged me into a kind of burnout and depression, but you recognise it as an overflow moment. So here's some things you need to know about overflow moments. Um, buckets don't overflow because of one event. The conversation I had at work did not cause my burnout, neither did my workplace for that matter. It just happened to be that that was the last thing that went into the bucket that caused it to overflow. Sometimes uh, something really insignificant happens and we have this emu uh, huge emotional reaction and we wonder why so little triggers such an overreaction. And it's not, um, it's not because of that thing, it's because of the accumulation of everything that's in the bucket. Um, not every overflow moment results in full burnout like it did for me. Overflow moments can be mild to severe. Sometimes overflow moments can look like snapping at the kids at the end of a long, hard day, or we overreact to something somebody says to us, or our boss gives us another job and we feel overwhelmed and then explode. Um, 
The other thing about overflow moments is that we all display them differently. For me, it's bursting into tears. Often it's bursting into tears for me when I'm overwhelmed. Um, for others, it might be anger, it might be withdrawal. Um, there's all sorts of physical, emotional, psychological reactions that we'll experience that indicate an overflow moment. And minor overflows are as important as the major ones. In fact, the minor ones and their frequency um, is our body's warning system. And I'd recommend you listen to the minor ones because they might save you from the major ones. And here's the clincher for me, is I should have known better because this is not the first time it's happened to me. This happened to me 20 years earlier in my 20s. And I knew at 40 that my bucket was getting full um, and I kept pushing my limits and I kept um, postponing opportunities to lower the water level. And you'll know if this is you because what you'll be saying is, I just need to get through the next event, the next project, the next week, the next month. I just need to get through, then I'll slow down. And I think that's, that's what I was doing. So how's your bucket looking at the moment? If you were to draw a line on your bucket and indicate your capacity, where would it be? And I wonder if anyone's feeling like Elijah and finding themselves at their limit and saying, I've had enough. So, it's one thing to realise that you have a bucket that's too full or even overflowing, but what do you do about it? So there's several things that you can do to um, manage the water in your bucket, but I just want to give you one really practical one. You kind of have to do my half-day or full-day workshop if you want to hear all the others. Um, but we had to condense it down to a little bit, so let me give you one. We can add taps. If we had taps on our buckets, we'd have a mechanism for letting out the water and dropping the water level. I wonder if you've got any taps on your buckets and how many do you have and are they letting out enough water? So let's go back to Elijah and let's just have a look at the very first taps that God gave Elijah when he said he'd had enough. So in 1 Kings 19.5 it says... And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too, too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Did you see the taps? Tap number one was sleep. Absolutely. Tap number two was an angel. That's a pretty cool tap. Essentially, it was someone to care for him. Tap number three was, four, uh, was food. And tap number four was repeat. So he slept, ate, got up, slept, ate, drank, repeat. 
Never underestimate the basics of life as taps for reducing the water in your bucket. Food, water and sleep. They'll be the first things a counsellor will ask you about if you present with burnout. How are you looking after yourself? Um, when we go through burnout, often what happens is that life is stripped back to the essentials of basic survival, rest, sleep, food. And if it's supplied by somebody else, that's even better. Um, I love how after all the stress that Elijah went through, God uh, very kindly brought him to a safe place. He was running for his life. Where he could hide, he was allowed to rest, he was given food and water. And God turned on the taps and let some water out of his bucket for him. So given that we're human beings and we're holistic, like we said earlier, we're emotional, uh, physical, social, spiritual, our taps should reflect the, the parts of us that need supporting. And ideally, you need uh, taps in, in all of these areas of your life. We need physical taps. We need things like nutrition and exercise and sleep. Um, we need health checkups. We need days off and weekends and holidays. They're all part of um, healthy taps. We need emotional taps. We need to learn to deal with what's going on inside our, in our internal world. Um, what we're thinking and feeling and why we're feeling that. That might need the, the talk with a friend or it might need talk therapy with a professional. We need some mental taps. We, need, we might need learning or upskilling or learn how to do some mindfulness and relaxation techniques. We need relational taps. We need friendships, the ability to socialise. We need meaningful work and hobbies and play and family. And we need spiritual taps too. We need meditation and prayer and worship um, and gathering with others and fasting and contemplation and, and being in nature. So do you have enough taps and are they re uh, releasing enough water to make a difference in your bucket? I think one of the favourite parts of this story of Elijah, it's always been my favourite part of this story, comes right at the very end. After God had rested and fed Elijah and he'd walked for the 40 days, that would have given him a lot to think about, 40 days of... Um, walking after all of that stress that he'd been through. Um, God gets, uh, he gets to a cave and God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? And when I read these verses, God sounds kind to me. He doesn't sound like he's accusatory. He, he's, I read these words as kind. Um, God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah tells God his troubles. He tells him that he's been zealously um, serving God. Um, the people of Israel have broken their covenant with him. They've torn down the altars. Um, he's killed God. He's killed, they killed all of God's prophets, and he's the only one left. I think what he's saying is, this job's really hard and I can't do it anymore. And God tells him to stand at the entrance of a cave. And then God passes by the entrance of the cave and Elijah watches all these earthly phenomena happen um, in front of the cave. There's this huge hailstorm that goes past and it must be massive because it says it loosens the rocks and it shakes the cave. Um, but it says that God's not in the, um, 
in the hailstorm, and then there's an earthquake, and then there's a fire. I wonder if Elijah was looking for God in the power that he saw God when all the altars were destroyed. But God's not in any of those massive events. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper, and it says that God was in the whisper. And it's in the whisper that God hears Elijah's exhaustion, and Elijah hears God. And, it's, and he's gentle, and he's caring. And God instructs him to go back to where he came from, and he gives him a plan. God tells him, I want you to appoint two new kings for the nation of Israel, and I want you to anoint Elisha, um, who will replace him as the prophet. And then God says he's preserved 7,000 people who haven't bowed down to Baal. So not, uh, Elijah isn't the only one whose heart is turned towards God. There's 7,000 others joining him. And it's in the quiet, caring, soft manner that God comes alongside Elijah and he restores him. Um, burnout was a gift for me. It slowed me down and it slowed me down enough so that I could start hearing the whisper of God. It forced me to add taps to my bucket. And when I was rested and restored, then God started to whisper. And I started to listen and he came up with a plan. And I've spent the last 10 years watching that unfold in amazing ways. So we didn't make it to Paris when I turned 40, but we made it to Paris when I turned 41 a year later. <laughs> um, we had the best holiday after uh, the end of an excruciating, difficult year. It was a massive, uh, joyful tap. And there were some highlights on that trip, but I think there was one that was really um, memorable for me. We booked a concert in um, the, the chapel at the Saint-Chapelle Chapel, and if you've been to Paris, it's beautiful. It's got more than a thousand stained glass windows um, in it, and it's just beautiful. And we went to a stringed quartet concert there um, that was playing Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Um, and it was just beautiful. And then when the concert ended and the string quartet went off, they came back and did an encore. And of all the pieces of music they could have played, they played Pachabel's Canon, which is the piece of music I walked down the aisle to when we got married. And in that moment, at the end of a difficult year, with tears streaming down my face in that beautiful chapel, I felt like God was whispering to me, I see you and I love you. God sees you and he loves you and he cares for you. So let me encourage you to slow down and let yourself be cared for and listen for him in the whisper. Let me just pray. God, we're so busy and we let our lives get so full, and when our lives get full, we, we don't hear you anymore. So, Lord, we come before you, and we pray that you will um, help us to put taps on our buckets to reduce 
the water to care for our bodies and our minds and our souls and our emotions so that we can listen to your whisper. And for those um, that are overwhelmed, if you've come to the end of yourself, do you thirst for the drink from the well? Then Jesus is calling. Amen.